2: And greetings. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show podcast edition powered by CRTV. Thanks to all of you who subscribe. You iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and now iHeartRadio as well. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name spelled D-E-A-C-E. Todd and Aaron are here with me. We just finished wrapping up today's television show. Let's give the audience a quick little tease of what is to come today here at CRTV.com. Todd, what's
1: stood out to you? A great, unique guest named Daria Little. Uh, convert, grew up in Turkey, converted from Islam uh, to the Christian faith, had a very unique perspective, particularly the given the choice of the questions you asked about how her conversion is now in a way being done in reverse here in America, not from Christianity to Islam, but certainly away from Christianity and how we are taking for granted the very things that she began to value. Aaron?
0: Yeah, I, uh, we, we talked quite a bit about uh, Steve Bannon's 60 Minutes interview and if you were looking for uh, words that either confirmed or denied uh, all the worst uh, inclinations you may or may not have had about the Trump administration, um, yeah, there's 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 really no clarifying information there in my in my estimation. and we talk quite a bit about that.
2: Not only that, it, there's confirmation. And Steve Bannon in that sixty minutes interview basically just confirmed the last eight months of criticism I've had here on our show. Just all of you promoting the four D chess theory, all that he just threw he just threw all of you under the bus. Threw you some shade, threw you under the bus, peed on you, and said, It is raining. It's very it, it's it's very wet in here. You're all fools. There was no plan, never has been a plan. So you don't want to miss that coming up later today at CRTV.com promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E. And also, you know, if, if you didn't get a chance to see last Friday's Dace Group Roundtable, you definitely need to check that out as well. All right. So this is a good time to use that promo code DACE, get that 10 day free trial or is it seven day? I can't remember. Um,
0: it's uh, seven days, I believe.
2: It's seven-day free trial, but it's there's a $10 a month option. There you go. I get the numbers wrong all the time. I forget. So uh, you can do this month to month. You can try it, and after a week, you're like, you know what? You guys all suck. Cancel, and we won't charge you anything at all. But I got to believe between us, Levin, Crowder, and Malkin, somebody's worth 10 bucks a month, right? So check it out. CRTV.com. Use that promo code DACE. All right. Today is the... Um, 16th anniversary of 9-11. And what I wanted to do for our podcast today is I wanted to start, I want us to go around the room, and I'm going to start with you, Aaron. And I want each of us to share where we were at that moment, what our reactions were when we first heard that this was going on, um, how it shaped our lives going forward, and how we see the world, and where we think American culture is 16 years after. Can we do that? Yeah. Yep. All right, Aaron, I'm
0: going to start with you. Uh, so I was homeschooled, but that morning... Um we we I also played violin, so I was in back and forth between the the public school building and and home for violin stuff, and we had a group lesson uh, that morning, and it was about I think it was like eight thirty something like that in the morning where, when we had this group lesson, and uh, and we got done with that, and I would uh, once I would get done with that, I'd I'd go um, sit out um, outside the school. Um, and wait for my mom or somebody to come pick me up, and usually uh, she or whoever was pretty prompt in getting there. But I waited and I waited. I was I was young. I mean, this was 2001. I would have been eight years old. I waited, 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 waited. Uh, I thought mom had forgotten me, or I thought, you know, what is going on here? And finally, uh, she came up, and I don't I don't remember exactly how long, but it. You know, it, to an eight-year-old, it, it seemed like hours. It was probably, you know, only fifteen minutes, half an hour, or something like that. And she uh, she came up, and she had the radio on, and she, on the way back, told me that a plane had hit the tower, uh, the towers. Uh, and I said, where? because I thought oh in Des Moines or something you know something like that I was I was an eight, my world was pretty small as an 8-year-old kid mm-hmm. and she said no in New York and I thought there's there's that was the first moment like you know not everything's going to be okay here you know mm-hmm. that's the first moment where there was kind of an existential fear in in my life and I remember going home and um you know, we, we all tried to do our school, but we couldn't. The TV was on the whole day, uh, for almost the whole day. I think my mom made us turn it off uh, late afternoon. Uh, and that's really, we we've we talk about wanting our kids, and I don't have kids yet, so I'm, I'm kind of talking at my butt here. But we want to talk, we, we talk about wanting to keep our kids for a certain amount of time, Innocent and in a bubble as far as to the realities of the, of the world. You know, they, they, at some point they need to, to learn things and grow up. But for a generation, my generation of kids, that I think in a lot of ways um, ruined an innocence of an entire generation mm. uh, very early. And that's that's maybe that's maybe one of the uh, aside from from the wars and everything that's maybe one of the lasting things that 9/11 did. But here we are, a generation—well, uh, not a generation, but 16 years later—and culture as a whole seems to be living in a completely different universe than it was on September 12th, 2001. In the week following, especially on college campuses, especially in academia, there have been very few lessons learned, in my estimation, from 9-11. In fact, it seems to be going the opposite direction. Instead of saying that there are some people who are evil, there are some cultures who are less superior... Just aren't they're just pretty crappy altogether. Instead of learning that lesson and taking the necessary steps and and acting like we learned a lesson, we' in fact gone the opposite direction. We're now embracing all those crappy cultures. We're saying that the nobody's evil, they're just victims of capitalism in the West or what have you from the West. It's I, I still remember that day vividly. I still remember the aftermath fairly vividly. But here we are 16 years later, and instead of learning lessons, we seem to have begun going in the opposite direction, where we're racing towards more moments like what we had. And that is an indication of either divine judgment or that we're just a stiff-necked people, or both, probably both.
1: Todd? Well, I remember... um my wife uh, caught the news first. Uh, we were both in our apartment, and it that instantly changed her. This is before, it's long enough now that uh, it's before I had even started at the Des Moines Register, but my wife was an editor there. And uh, so she went from having to work later in the afternoon to working, you know, all day long, you know, rushing in. And the stories from her are talking about really the most incredible You know, you have these moments. We talked about this last week about what can happen in hard times. You know, really fulfilling to be a journalist, um, you know, working really hard. that day. This is before social media, so you're putting out special editions and handing them out on the sidewalk. You know, just almost, I mean, that's taking you back to, like, World War II almost Mm -hmm. and how things were. So it was phenomenal to have that uh, uh, level of uh, perspective. And then me just you know, locked in to watching uh, the coverage as much as was uh, possible. Um, I don't know if I ever really truly understood the term surreal until you're taking all of that in, the multiple levels, the, 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 the planes c- crashing, the, the video of people choosing to plummet to their death instead of burning alive. Uh, remarkable. And then I remember going off to work and some people talking about this uh, as the Pearl Harbor of our age, but pretty quickly the various politics, it, it got set aside in many ways and in many respects, and rightly so and sometimes politics shouldn't be set aside at all because it, it it needs to accomplish something in those moments but it was also very ugly at times uh my i remember my boss the person who had the power to hire and fire me instantly was very public in the hallways about you know uh, how we had this coming in many respects uh white guilt sort of stuff and i just made things very uncomfortable because people well that's the boss saying it i was just going hammer and tongs at this nonsense is not having any of it (laughs) as yeah you're all shocked Uh, so I vividly remember that I remember this is uh, I am in the you know very I don't have kids yet um, but my in the early uh, part of uh, my relationship uh, with my uh, wife and, uh, and thinking long and hard if I needed to join the military i remember that it was so powerful uh in that moment and it's something ultimately i didn't decide uh, to do for various reasons uh and she was obviously a huge part of that but i I, i've always kind of wondered if i was a single man if i would have uh signed up I, i i have no idea uh i also remember a lot of how it set down a lot of the the lies uh, George W Bush uh, it in part his candidacy was about uh, not not doing nation-building pulling back from failed efforts now all of us agree with that to some extent but as Steve you've regularly pointed out you know foreign policy these days is more complex than ever you just can't have one game plan blanket game plan for foreign policy and we just need to disabuse ourselves of uh, of Paint by numbers or mm-hmm. or bumper sticker slogans for that. It's it's not you know Ron Paulism. Let the oceans protect us. That doesn't work. We Go, didn't know we didn't know that then though. No no we didn't. But we I, know that's it now. That's what I'm saying. And so yeah. it's, it, that doesn't work. Nor does you know going over and fight every battle. You need to be a risk realistic about what. Islam is, or what North Korea is. And you need to be able to be nimble. You need to be that offensive coordinator or that defensive coordinator that can consider many different opposing forces uh, at one time. And George W. Bush obviously learned that. We're not going to... Of course, the pendulum swung too far in the other direction. It's hard. It's, It's not easy doing this thing, but that that was a learning uh, curve for me. Also, learning at that time about, and Aaron uh, hit on this, learning about progressivism. Uh, we, we didn't, we could just call it liberalism at the time. Uh, but we, we and we had basically what we knew as Americans about Islam had mostly to do with the Israeli Palestinian conflict. And growing up, Steve, you and I remember the occasional that didn't uh, happen, but there were um, plane hijackings where you know on the tarmacs mm-hmm. and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, that. And other planes were c- uh, crashed, but the, now that it became more all encompassing, and the degree to which, over time, bit by bit, that as liberalism transitioned fully into progressivism and that they aligned themselves with what Aaron was talking about, a a religion so virulent against the West that no matter how many warm fuzzies they got, they would still be killed in the street by them for what they believed in. And we still do this to this day. It showed me everything about, we talk about enemies foreign and domestic. Uh, it, It showed us about how, Increasingly hollowed out, we were here in the West. Once we got past those candlelight vigils and things like that, and Team America, have we? We've just been sprinting downhill ever since then as a culture. There, there was no, there was no great five-year honeymoon period where you know America was ascendant. I mean, th- that ended fast, and our politics got. They're always. They're always rough and tumble, but they're just just thin gruel, ugly, nasty, petty, dumb. Um, so that's my stream of consciousness on that. I wish I had more to say on the empowering front, the noble front, the turn the corner and genuine make America great again front, but I just went off the cuff as you asked that question and... I I I I genuinely wish I had more that was positive to say. I was um,
2: I was very early in my uh, sports talk radio career. I had. um, um, Yeah, you and I didn't even know each other. No, not yet. No, I was just done my. I had my own show for a little more than a year. I had um, Anna was a baby. She had just watched her very first ever Michigan football game with Daddy. We played Miami of Ohio, and I could not afford like an actual Michigan Michigan replica jersey. So I had to I'd gone out to at this point because you know I was just starting out in sports talk radio and not making that good of money. So I had to go down to Burlington Coat Factory and get like this knockoff FUBU maize and blue looking Michigan jersey, which for a white guy, you know, at age. How old was I then? 31, 32? was kind of ridiculous, which is why I never wore it in public. I just wore, that, <laughs> wore it to have some kind of like Michigan jersey for that day with her. And I bring this up because I, I think it's important to recognize how we were just living our lives as, as we always had up until that moment. Um, I had actually just flown... About a month prior to 9-11, NFL training camps were just getting underway. And um, the Iowa Barnstormers uh, old Arena Football League team had just played their last road game against a team from Lafayette, Louisiana. And I went down there with the team and Earl Bruce, the old Ohio State and Iowa State coach was the team, was the coach. And I went down there with the team uh, on the team trip and stayed in the French Quarter, had just flown there from New Orleans and back. And then we just, uh, you know, uh, drove to Lafayette about an hour away from New Orleans. And so this was all surreal to me to be in the shower, getting set. Um, Even though my show was in the afternoons, I was the assistant program director of this sports station. So I had you know paperwork and other things that i had to do during the day so i'm i'm in the shower getting ready to report to work at uh, about 10 a.m local and just doing what i would normally do this time of year with it being football season and um amy's what amy's flipping back and forth between the today show and fox and friends as she used to do a lot back in those days and uh I hear her say, wow, what a tragedy. And I screamed out from the shower, you know, what would happen? She was like, oh, massive plane accident in New York. Totally freak, total freak thing, basically, you know. So I'm just like, I'm sad for the people involved, but, you know, I'm thinking about what I got to do today. I got to return some paperwork to ESPN radio, some affidavits I'm behind on. You know what I mean? I'm just, Mm -hmm. I got stuff I got to do. I got to prepare my own show, you know, I got to do a three-hour show and, just as I'm about ready to get out of the shower she screams and I'm, I turn the water off and I'm like what's going on because especially when you got a baby at home man and it's your first one every sound outside the norm you panic right you, you live in the constant fear of I'm going to get this kid killed <laughs> you know so every scream every, every, everything that got dropped I was on point I was on it So I turn the water off. I'm like, what is it? And I hear her say there was another one. And that's when you knew it wasn't a freak accident. And it was one of those things to contemplate. Someone came up with the idea of hijacking planes for the purpose of turning them into missiles. And you think to yourself, how could, it's, it's devilishly, wickedly brilliant. How could we have never thought about that? You know, and those of you that are Aaron's age or thereabouts, you don't live in. A, you don't remember the world. That's why I brought up I had just flown to New Orleans and back with the Arena Football team about a month prior. It, flying was a lot different then. Your friends and loved ones they came to the gate with you, saw you off right as you walked onto the, uh, you know, onto the uh, the loading bridge there. You know, you weren't padded down. We didn't grab every 10th old lady and make them take their false hip off. We didn't do any of this stuff. You took food and drink with you on planes, with you through the turnstiles. It was just a lot different. And without knowing the full scope, I knew right then this is going to be a Pearl Harbor kind of event. Something bad has really happened here. And so I've got to get in to the station. Amy's freaked out, you know. You can't go in. We don't know what's going on. I mean, there could be a this could be like a nuclear holocaust. It could be a nine-stage event. We don't know. You know. Um and we had not had a successful attack on US mainland soil since Pearl Harbor. But I've I've got to get in there. I've got a job to do, which is more important now because we may have to switch over and I'm in charge of all of that. I remember driving in and the stations on the other side of town and listening to the headlines and nothing at that moment seemed too fantastical. Like like whatever the theories that were being posited were, nothing seemed like it was out of bounds. Nothing made you, come on, man, no point. Because you had already the Rubicon. Alice had already seen through the looking glass at that moment there. And when they crumbled to dust that was unlike anything if you were Gen X or a millennial, as we, Todd and I are, the Gen Xers, Aaron, a millennial. Now, you grew up child of the 80s. You just never thought you'd ever see. You, know, you saw images of what happened when you know, uh, Hezbollah and Hamas tried to take over Lebanon and Beirut in the early 80s. Or you know, uh, the bombing of uh, you know, uh, the U.S. Embassy. Was it in Kenya? I'm trying to remember where that was at. But that just seems like that's, that's otherworldly. To then watch, then when you saw the video of President Bush when Andy Card is chief of staff as he's reading to those grade school kids, whispers in his ear what has happened. And you see the president's instant reaction and then he realizes he's in front of a bunch of children he's got to, with cameras on him. He's got to maintain his composure. And the security protocols that you hear about in movies where the VP and the president have to be in different look, to see this actually going down in real time Um, it was I think were you the one that used the word surreal yeah Uh, it it was an out of body experience having conversations with my wife like end of life conversations because again you don't know what the next step is what the next stage is and um We had just started attending a local church. I mean, we had just started. It had only been a couple of weeks. And mainly because, you know, I look back on it now and I can see this was, you know, this was essentially God wooing me. But at that point in my life, I was just like, Hillary, the one thing Hillary Clinton's right about is it could take a village to raise this kid with me as her dad, you know? So we had to get some better friends, some yeah, a network of people, you know, around us Uh, to provide her the infrastructure that I'm not capable of providing as her father. And um, I remember they had a prayer service at our church that night. And I went, and I wasn't a believer, and I really wasn't. You just felt like you should go because you go to this church. You know what I'm saying? It felt like a box to check to see the line of people waiting to get in. And you know, it would be about almost another two years before I would really take this conversion seriously. And I remember in the years followed when we would acknowledge 9-11 at that same church before we switched to the church we're at now, and remembering how the crowds got smaller, and smaller, and smaller in the years after. And we go back to what we were before. And, you know, when you study the scriptures and you study the history and you realize that for the northern ten tribes of Israel, they had been warned numerous times, don't build sanctuaries in Bethel. Worship God the way he intended. Go to the temple. Be God's people. And... When generation after generation after generation goes by and and you think because there hasn't been an obvious divine retribution, that means you're getting over. In other words, you don't take God's patience as mercy. You take it as he's just a bumbling old fool I can take advantage of. And if I just show up at the temple synagogue on Yom Kippur once a year, make my atonement or, you know, I, I make sure I, you know, go buy some rabbits in the marketplace and, uh, or some goats and we slit their throats and it doesn't matter what I did all week long. Right. And then one morning you get up and you prepared your daughters to marry like any other day. You tend your fields and your crops or your craft or your home like any other day. You send your kids off to Hebrew school like any other day. Except this day is not like any other day. There's a rumbling coming from over the hill. And you see these barbarians, really. And they called themselves Assyrians. And they are just laying waste to everything in their path, including your women and children. And then they put bits in your noses, like your cattle, like your chattel. And they put you on on, and they and they and they essentially batan death march you back to Assyria, while they stay and claim your home and your lands and the women they didn't kill and rape as their wives, and repopulate your culture. That's where we get. By the way, who were the Sumerians? I just told you who they were. This is why the Jews in Jesus' time viewed the Sumerians as cheap knockoffs. Because in some respects they were. But that was a day like any other day. Years later we go to the southern kingdom, which was supposedly the faithful one. Day like any other day send your daughters off to get married, you tend your crops, your craft, your home, send your children off to Hebrew school, but this is not like any other day. Because that commotion outside the city gate is a man named Nebuchadnezzar. He's come to lay siege to your civilization, and by the time he is done, you will eat your own filth for food. You will drink your own urine for water. And because your government refuses to accept God's justice, what will happen is when Nebuchadnezzar finally has his victory, he will call your king out with his royal court, including his wife and his children. And in front of this king, he will kill them all. And then the next thing he will do is pluck that king's eyes out so that the last thing he ever saw with his own eyes was the death of his wife and kids. And then take a lot of your best and brightest back with them to Babylon, which is where we pick up the story of Daniel and his three friends. Then there was a day in Rome, which is supposedly the capital now of Christendom. It has gone from being Christianity's enemy to essentially its apostle since the time of Constantine, except it's long given up that call and it's historically debatable whether we can probably historically debate just how sincere Constantine's call really was was it sincere cuz dude needed the troops or was it sincere because it was sincere we may never know what we do know though is at this point whatever began that day on that battlefield with Constantine's vision has long been abandoned and these people get up send their kids off to the temple of jupiter day like any other day except it's not like any other day the Visigoths are coming over the wall this is the end this is the last day Nine eleven. we got up September eleventh, two 2001 I showered and went to work got ready for work like any other day lamented how 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 poorly new quarterback for Michigan, John Navarre, played against Miami of Ohio in the season opener the previous Saturday like I would any other day. Wondered how I was going to fill a three-hour talk radio program with this new coach, Kirk Ferentz, whose program was off to a terrible start. Iowa State had this new quarterback, Seneca Wallace. We didn't know if he was any good or not yet. It was Iowa, Iowa State week. So I'm, you know, how am I going to be Eddie Haskell and pick a fight between those two fan bases to generate the phone calls I need to kill another three-hour show off, right? Any other day. What are we having for dinner tonight? Except just like the day the Visigoths came over the wall, Babylon pierced the city gate, and the Assyrians showed up to put bits in our noses. It wasn't like any other day. And... To me, the greatest tragedy of them all. Even maybe more tragic than the 200 people that leapt from the top of those towers because they thought that was preferable to burning to cinder, to burning to death in those buildings. Then the 3,000 plus lives that were lost is when we sit here 16 years later. You know, what's, the, what's one of the closing lines of Lincoln's Gettysburg Address? that these dead would not have died in vain. We sit here 16 years later and we have less liberty and less unity than we did on September 10th, 2001. And it's not even close, guys. It's just not even close. It's just not even close. What we take daily as the cost of doing business in America would have sent people into the streets in mass protests on September 10th, 2001. We are less unified, we have less liberty than we did before that day. So we can use hashtag never forget, never again all we want. But gentlemen, it appears to me, we have forgotten quite a bit. And I look at Aaron's generation, and it's a generation, they didn't forget anything. They, just, they never knew. They never knew that world. This is all they've known. We are not in Kansas anymore, Toto. In some respects, even though we have killed I untold hundreds of thousands of these wannabe martyrs. We have given them their wish. And then when they closed their eyes, they woke up in a really warm place called hell, realizing this isn't the deal, this isn't the bargain I was sold. But we have given how many untold thousands upon hundreds of thousands of martyrs in the last 16 years, we've given them what they've wanted, haven't we? But in many respects, when you look at the liberty that we have voluntarily given away and continue to give away, when you look at the division we have in our culture, in some respects... In eternity, their bargain did not pay off because they're all in hell now. But in this life, they got over. We didn't create a greatest, greatest generation after 9-11. We created a generation that is now being offered counseling on the Berkeley campus, in case you just can't tolerate the words of a Jew by the name of Ben Shapiro, he might he might tell you something. A, a, a Jewish guy may come to your campus and tell you something that may upset you. So we're going to offer you counseling in case he triggered you. Preach. That's what that's the generation we created
1: after. Couldn't 9-11. make a better contrast. Preach.
2: We learned all the wrong lessons, and when I say we, man. Circle. This is a circular firing squad here. We're all pointing fingers at ourselves. We really thought we could bring democracy to the Middle East. Like, hey, man, why did anybody ever try that? Well, just nobody as good as Americans had tried it, so it'll work this time. No, it won't. We ended up making the same mistake. Now, we are not a new Israel. We're not even an archetype. There's only, been, there's only been two covenant people of God in human history. One, the people of Israel, the other, the church of Jesus Christ. And that's it. We are not a covenant people of God. But we mirrored some of that covenantal language in our own founding, meaning God did not make covenant with us. We sought to make covenant with him. We sought to look down through history and see what has God cursed and blessed through history. And let's put our own poor man's version of that on the map called these United States and see if we can create a place where people can truly be free. And we didn't always do it well and we didn't always do it right, but we, but it, we did do it with the help and aid of providence. But we have made the classic mistake the, the Jewish people made in the time of, of covenant Israel. See, they ultimately believed they were special So they were chosen. As opposed to understanding, they were chosen. And that's why they're special. And this is why John the Baptist looks at those Jewish leaders in the first century and says, Give me, you can retire permanently your sons of Abraham talk. For God could take these stones and turn them into sons of Abraham. You're not special because you're sons of Abraham. Meaning Abraham believed and it was credited to him, righteousness. He didn't do anything to earn the title of Father Abraham. He was chosen. This man named Abram wandering aimlessly in Mesopotamia is chosen by God. And now he's special because he's been chosen. We did this mistake ourselves. We will do what the British Empire could not and all these other colonial efforts of Europe could not do. We will subdue the Middle East by giving them democracy because we're Americans and we're special. We're not special. We're exceptional and that's not the same thing. Lots of people that aren't special or people that aren't even good are exceptional. How many exceptional actors are there that are moral reprobates? How many exceptional athletes are there that go home and slap their wives and girlfriends around and have nine baby mamas? One of them will play running back for the New Orleans Saints tonight. Adrian Peterson. There's a lot of exceptional people that aren't special, that aren't good. We have conflated that terminology. We think exceptional means that we're special. No. The acknowledgement that we're not special, that we're nothing other, other than the king without the, the providential aid of the king of heaven is what made us exceptional. It's what made us overcome all of our deficiencies, our blights, our blind spots, our immoralities, our hypocrisies. We've made the same mistake Old Testament Israel made. And that's why since 9-11, we have less liberty and less unity. And it will only get worse. To me, the Islamic radicals are idiots, not just because what they believe is a demonic lie from hell where they will all burn forever if they don't repent, but because their, their services aren't required. They're not needed. We live in a day and age where we won't let our high school football coaches pray in Jesus' name over a loudspeaker before a game or when a kid gets hurt on the field, but on Monday, if the teacher wants to take him to mosque for a field trip, then it's as alaikum they have won the long game. They don't need to strap any more bombs to their chests. We hate ourselves. We do. We are self-loathing. We hate ourselves more than they could hate us. We have taken the term Puritans, the very people who founded this country, who half of them died, they put their women and children on rickety boat to come here to establish a kingdom in the name of Jesus Christ. Right there in their charter, that's what they wrote. And we have now turned that legacy into a pejorative that we used to insult one another with. Well, you're a Puritan. You're one of those purists. You're puritanical. All they did was found the greatest country that's ever been permitted on God's green earth. And we now use them as a put down. Now, the Islamists cannot hate us more than we hate ourselves. They are wasting their lives. Go blow somebody else up just wait us out a generation or two we're coming we're coming we're heading your way no need you're wasting you're wasting you're wasting your ieds wasting your explosives we just gave this, the Saudis, who, have the, who are the largest exporters of Wahhabist radical Islam, the largest arms deal in history. Under this president, the previous president just handed the greatest terrorist-sponsoring state in the world, Iran, how many untold billions of dollars? No. Nope. We're coming for you. But not in the way the Islamists thought. We're coming to join you. Thanks for tuning in here today on our podcast. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Show. I know some of what I said here will make you angry. It doesn't make me happy. Just tell me it's not true because I'd like it to not be. John 317.
1: This is Steve Dace.
0: I like you.